0: Next on Inside the SCCA, Club Culture. Today, our guest is Hayward Wagner. Hayward is the Senior Director of Rally Solo and Experiential Programs. Does that even fit on a business card for the SCCA? In this position, he worked for Track Night in America, the Time Trials, National Tour, and the National Solo Series and the staff to provide support for the regional solo track events, time trials, rally, rally cross, and hill climb programs. He has an extensive background with the club. He grew up as a flagging communications kid. He began competing in the National Solo Series when he was in college. He participated in the vast majority of the programs the club has to offer. He's been to 27 runoffs, 21 solo nationals, and all four time trial champions. His passion, he says, is fueled by a quest to find space for both those who want to compete and those who are just looking to have fun. Hayward Wagner, how are you today?
1: I'm well, Brian. Thank you for making the time. It's great to uh, I'm really glad you're taking on this project. And uh, I'm happy to be here to be a part of it.
0: Well, this is something I've been bouncing around in my head for four or five years. And it's time to finally get it going. So I don't know if you remember, but back in the day when you were just a wee little flagger kid, I was one of the guys that wrote Atlanta seeing you come up through the ranks. I was a Rhode Atlanta member back in the, uh, an Atlanta region member back in the mid mid nineties. And, uh, and you were the annoying kid from college who wanted to get involved with everything.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty accurate, uh, pretty <laughs> accurate portrayal. I, um, I had, uh, this, the incredibly condensed version is I had this great idea that we should have a sports car club at my university and about, Two weeks after we decided we needed to have this idea, had needed this to happen, the school said, Well, how much startup money do you need? And it never occurred to us that there was a financial benefit of this. <laughs> uh, but that uh, that grew into a giant duffel bag of whites, a whole bunch of tents, some coolers, and uh, off we went. It was great,
0: actually. You would, would bring uh, half a dozen, dozen guys and gals to the racetrack every weekend and, and join us on the corners. And uh, you were all very eager and we loved the help. And uh, and that's how I first met you way back in the day. And then I have followed your meteoric rise within the club over the years. And uh, and now you're one of the guys who helps make it all happen.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's really, I don't know if, if meteor is the metaphor I want uh, to use here that usually <laughs> uh, is more linked with extinction than I want to really be. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's been a really interesting um, ride. You know, I went from growing up in my parents' camper. Um, my dad was the first national administrator of flagging communications. And as they were trying to standardize flagging, uh, he and my mom wrote the first flag manual. And that was kind of my introduction to who my parents were. You know, they were going and doing training schools and whatnot. And that you know, obviously got me into flagging and then autocross. And um, I was the Atlanta region solo chair in the mid. Uh, what do we call between 2000 and 2010? Is that the aughts? I, the aughts, yes. Yeah. So in the mid aughts, I was the Atlanta region solo chair and um, really made a great connection even before that with Howard Duncan and Howard kind of kept pulling me into projects in the national solo program. Um, and it kind of all came to a head for me um, in uh, 2008 when I really just kind of got burned out on chasing championships. And, you know, uh, I think, a lot of my experience to that point in time, as you probably saw, was trying to fight my way into areas where I could contribute instead of being invited into areas where I could contribute. Right. Um, and the combination of, of the emotional drain of chasing championships and not getting them. And I just kind of walked away for a bit and uh, moved out to California and uh, lived in the Northern California area and worked in some summer camps and got to try... Uh, Try my hand at leadership education, in team building, um, worked with a lot of different groups. Uh, One day it would be a group of kids that were a Muslim homeschool collective, where as a male, I could not interact with the female uh, kids Mm -hmm. in that group uh, in any shape, form, or fashion, but had to keep them safe on a ropes course. (laughs) Uh, And then the next day we'd have the group that was working on the new GPS chip for the iPhone. So it was a, a really interesting time. Cool. And in that time, I had a chance to sit down with the board of directors. Um, I was at Solo Nationals. And as you have um, very clearly painted uh, a tendency to run uh, run ideas by people, shall we say. <laughs> uh, so I had run my mouth to the chairman of the board. And he asked me if I would like to come speak to the board about it. And um, if we fast forward from that point, that was the birth of the Experiential Programs Department, which has worked closely with marketing and now let rally solo. And um, sure. here we are.
0: Sure. So before we get too deep, I just want to make it clear to our listeners that uh, I've been a club member since 86, I think. Kind of like you, my dad was a driver and I was his crew chief. And, you know, when I was in high school, that was my life on the weekends. And um, you know, I, I ended up not being confirmed Catholic because I had a choice to go racing on the weekends or go to confirmation classes. And I'm like, that's not a tough decision to make here. Um, you know, so I, I grew up as well in the club and, and, um, but what I want to make clear before we get too deep is that you know this is an independent podcast. It's not sponsored by the club. It's not sanctioned by the club. Uh, and it, and and because of that, I think we'll be able to have some serious conversations. They will be sometimes tough conversations, but I think they're important conversations. And but but I'm not going to allow the podcast just for folks listening to become a club bashing type thing because I love this club. I really do. I think it's important, it's an important place for people to go and 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 get in touch with their their cars and it's a family thing. And and I I just I think it's a really amazing opportunity uh, for people who are interested in in the car culture. Um, That said, if the club finds value in this podcast and would love to put it on its website and promote it a little bit, I'd be happy to let that happen. Uh, over time, maybe they will re- listen to some episodes, and and you guys might like it enough, or think it's important enough, uh, to put up there and and get some get some ears on it. So, now that that's out of the way, we were talking ahead of this and about what we wanted to talk about. Because Hayward, with you, I could talk about solo rally, time trials, track events, track night in America. We could talk about all those things, and we will eventually. But I think this the which I think is important. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the culture of the club right now. You know, it's an evolving club. It has been evolving for 75 years now. What's the, how old are we? I
1: think we're 78 now.
0: 78 I'm, now.
1: I'm wearing my 75th uh, anniversary vest today and it feels about three right. years old. There you go.
0: You know, and obviously the club today is not the club that it was 78 years ago. It's not the club that it was 15 years ago. And it, it might not even be the club that it needs to be today. And that's why I think that the discussion of the culture is there. There's a perception right now that the club is, is there's no place in the club for the old folks and the young folks. A, a perception I don't agree with. I won't say it's not a struggle. You know, there are some issues, but I, I think there's a lot of people who are talking about it, thinking about it, trying to find ways to connect everyone together, you know, to keep the boomers and the millennials happy. Let's talk a little bit about what the club is doing, or what the club sees are the issues, and and maybe we can have some discussions about what we can all do to make things a little more fun going forward. How's that? Sounds great. <clears throat> so, anybody who follows online, there's a couple of places. There's the official SCCA webpage, and then there's the official unofficial SCCA webpage. One is somewhat moderated by the club. I think there are people who think it's too moderated, but there will always be those folks. The other Facebook page is a wild, wild west of everything from bashing to people who love it and fights and back and forth and idiotic memes and all that kind of stuff. But it does kind of depict this idea of of people who... There are certainly people who aren't completely happy. Certainly people think there are change- changes needed. And then there are some people who would be very happy for nothing to change ever again. How do you fight that?
1: That's a, that's a, a great opening question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, you know what, right now I could stop talking for the next 45 minutes and you could vamp on this. But uh, let's continue.
1: Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I think you've identified the landscape pretty accurately um, and the, the humorous way that I try to look at this sometimes that's not at all a joke is that we at SCCA, our core business is helping people find their hobby. And for some people, that's driving a car. And for some people, that's waving a flag. And for some people, that's stewarding a race. And and for some people, that's slinging poo on the internet. And that has become a significant uh, part of the SCCA, quote unquote, lifestyle. Um, and you know what we see more times than not is that Um, a lot of times these are folks that are not actively involved in our programs. These are not people who are engaged in, um, in a positive way. Uh, And they just, what we see a lot of, especially in the unofficial group is people who are just looking for, for lack of a better way of putting it, they're looking for a fight. They're looking for someone to take them on and uh, see how deep that comment thread can go and how many likes they can get. Um, And you know, it's it's a big it's a big challenge for us as an organization, because we do absolutely see people know of people who have come into an SCCA program, SCCA space, had an event or two, want to learn more about it. And they go to this wild, wild west of um, discussion and they're like, whoa, these these people are insane. This is nuts. I don't I don't want to have anything <laughs> with any of this. And you, know, you mentioned there's a lot lot to it unpack in that opening, but you mentioned that you know some folks feel like we moderate our group too tightly. We're very clear on the purpose of that group, that per- the purpose of that group is to have open and fair conversation that facilitates participation in SEC events and coming into that group with an agenda of um, you know, trolling, just to call it what it is, is not productive to facilitating participation in SEC events. Um, somebody, right. somebody comes in and says, how can I get involved in my uh, such and such car? And the overwhelming response to that person is you're an idiot for having bought that car. That, that does not help that person engage in our community can engage in our events. And so, you know, that's kind of that, that moderation piece. I love the
0: idea of, of, you know, building a car, buying a car, even if it's a slow car, it's the wrong car for the class, you know, but if you can get out there and be safe, And run around at the back of the pack and be happy. Uh, That was me for a year or two. You know, I I I had a very underpowered Honda Civic in ITC, but dang it, I was on the racetrack at uh, tracks I could see on TV and I wasn't in anybody's way. I was very, I, I mean, I, I almost just looked. You know, had a rotator cuff surgery from pointing people by, you know, there's a place in the club for people like that.
1: Well, I think you just said one of the most dangerous and maybe toxic phrases that we have in this organization, which is wrong oh. car for the class." Right. And that, that statement, those words, and I'm not picking on you personally because oh, everybody uses it. But that statement implies that if you're not trying to win, if you're not trying to run at the front, if you're not investing all of your time, money, and effort in being a, a champion, that you're doing it wrong. And I think that you know when we talk about club, club culture, one of the biggest challenges we have in club culture is the idea that if you're not competing at the pointy end, that you don't really belong here. You've got the wrong car. you got the wrong idea. That, that's not who SCCA is. And I'm very strongly of the opinion you know, going back to those red Atlanta days where you might have the best racetrack, best battle on the track for ITC cars that are six seconds a lap off the pace, but they're having a blast. Yep. You know, when we talk about creating room in the SCCA culture for those who are motivated and interested in pointy end competition, absolutely. We are a national championship crowning organization that is core to our identity. That's always going to be a part of who we are. But if you went to the Indy runoffs, there were a, whole lot of people in that paddock that were just so excited to be there and be a part of that event. Right. Um, And a lot of them had the wrong car for the class. And, you know, we need to make sure that we're creating space, that those people can enjoy our events and feel a part of our club um, just as much as our podium finishers are.
0: Right. And Indy's a particular thing because, you know, anybody who's grown up as a road racing fan or in, in United States in the last 70 years, you know, dreams of as a kid driving at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And the first time that the runoffs went there, I was just so stoked. And the second time it was, I had plans to try to get there and I didn't. And I'm praying that we go back at least once every 10 years, even if we did it once every 10 years, I think that would be a great carrot to dangle at people, to be able to race at Arguably the most iconic motorsports facility that's ever been created. So there's my vote for that. By the way,
1: I will I will get that into the conversation. Yeah.
0: So, uh, but I think you get people that would go to an Indy runoffs that might not go to VIR next year because it's Indy, and 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 I can go race at VIR anytime. I can go race it, at Sonoma anytime. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and I think so, that's
1: that's absolutely what we see with that event. Um, you know, it, yeah. it 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 is alluring to go to a track that people can't get a lot of uh, laps on. There's no home field advantage at Indy. There's tremendous right. history at Indy. There's tremendous facilities at Indy. Um, you will get pictures of you in your car at Indy that you can't get uh, the equivalent of at any other track. And so That's know, right. all those things add up.
0: That's right. So, you know, we, there's so much to talk about here. You know, 20 years ago, before the internet, we, many people would refer to the SCCA as the Secret Car Club of America. And today we have this, this ginormously amazing and practically free promotional tool that can eliminate the Secret Car Club of America moniker. And two things are happening. I, I don't think the club has fully utilized that tool as well as it could have, and I don't think there's a really hard way to argue that. And then you have the, the whole discussion of the trolls and arguing back and forth and trying to fight that, the negativity that can come from, as I like to call them, keyboard ninjas or keyboard warriors. What are the types of things that the club is trying to do to better utilize these digital resources to help bring in the younger folks, honestly, because us older folks aren't going to be around as long as we would like to think we are. And we're, we're tired. I gotta tell you, I I I just I can't. I have no desire to stand on a corner all day long anymore. And we I, need people to do things like that.
1: You are you are scratching the surface of about twelve different podcast conversations. <laughs> we have one on the the current state and future trajectory of flagging. Uh, we could do an entire podcast on the phrase "the secret car club of America." Um, yep. My yep. position there, just super quick, is I don't think that we're the secret car club of America. I think that there are way more people that know about us and have a negative opinion of competing or participating with us than there are people who don't know about us. And I think that that negative opinion be- is born in part from the fact that we have, for so much of our history, been about national championship competition. That That's what we have promoted as our key brand. And, and growing up at Road Atlanta in the 80s. You know the SCCA was the, from a marketing standpoint, the the SCCA was the runoffs, and the runoffs was Paul Newman, and so the message right. that went out to the world was this is a place for Paul Newman and people of his ilk to come and participate. Um, that's not a secret. That's not hiding who we are. That's putting out the hardest way to get involved as our primary product. Um, I think, you know, I managed uh, attempted to manage the marketing department uh, for the organization for about three years. And uh, one of the things that I'm really aware of is the idea a concept that I refer to as national office puberty, um, which is where you come into the national office staff as a fresh faced, optimistic, bright eyed kid who's got all these great ideas that's going to fix it all and how hard could it be and if these dummies would just do it my way. Uh, it would be a lot better. And um, over the course of the next couple of months, your, your skin breaks out, your voice sounds funny, you start growing hair where you don't want it. And by the time that you're a full-on grown national office adult, you realize it's just not quite as easy as you thought it was back when you were that fresh-faced kid. And I think to that, um, from the marketing standpoint, you know, right now our marketing team, for all intents and purposes, is three people. Um, Mm -hmm. and people tend to say, well, it's three people. That's, that's a, that should be enough to do these things well and do these things better. Um, but the challenge is that that's three people that are trying to carry a brand forward. Um, yeah, I, I relate SCCA a lot to like a general mills or a general motors type of thing where you have a parent company and then you have all the brands that come off of that. You have your Cadillac, your Chevrolet, your Corvette, whatever, you know, we have essentially about nine brands right now that we're trying to um, carry forward in this organization, and you know we get a lot of questions about well, why can't you be more like this organization? Why can't you? Why why isn't your web presence more like this? Why don't you stream like this organization? Why don't you? Do... And I think you know it's really important to understand in those conversations who SCCA is as a brand, um, and that is you know our job. Yeah, I, I, I'll pick on Grid Life a little bit or Exemplify Grid Life. Um, I have a really great relationship with Chris and Adam, and and you know, uh, Tomo works on with uh, Grid Life and us a lot. Um, been to events, and I love what they do. They they are doing an amazing job, um, and this really kind of ties back to the first question. So, um, uh, Grid Life does an amazing job of shining a light on racetrack activity of getting people who are not savvy, educated, aware of how to get onto a racetrack, excited about the idea of getting onto a racetrack. And they do somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 to 20 events a year. Um, If you talk to Adam, he says he'd like to do a little bit less to do them better, which is a lesson that SCCA could learn a whole lot from.
0: That was going to be my next question, but we'll talk about
1: that (laughs) in a minute. Um, But they shine this bright light on motorsports. And we have a great partnership, great relationship with them. And they do these you know, dozen or so events a year. Well, we do 2,000 events a year. And we have this incredible menu of programs and events that every single person that's getting excited about grid life um, could come and do with us. And I don't think Adam or Chris would be offended if I said, when you're at the event, I don't know that they're that different in the hot areas and in the on the track, in the pit lane, you know, in those key places. They're not that different. What's different is that the grid life culture, the grid life community has built itself on the premise that you become more known, more valuable, more important, more connected. The more you talk about how great grid life is. And the SCCA culture has devolved to a point where you become more known, more connected, more prestigious, the more you talk about how horrible SCCA is. And I'll, I will give you all day long that Gridlife is a trillion times more gifted in social media and content, but they're built to be a content first company. We're built to be a participation first club. Right. And that's yeah, you know, that really plays into that secret car club of America. We're not a secret. Every single person that knows who Gridlife is either knows who SCCA is or has the opportunity to know who SCCA is. The problem is that oftentimes the SCCA that they see and meet on the internet is not an organization they want to be a part of because our culture is driven by snark.
0: Right. So, uh, again, we got a thousand rabbit holes we could run down right here. Sometimes I wonder, and I'm just going to throw it out there. We don't have to discuss this at the moment. If the club is the master of none and the Jack of many trades, you know, we've got not, you said we've, there's nine brands. Would the club be better off served if it had five brands and did those five brands better? I don't know the answer to that. I sometimes think that we try to be everything to everyone and we're not Always as good at any one of those things to the to, to, to the individual brands. Yeah, and I think I mean I think that's
1: a great ex- example of how SECa can be a challenging organization to work with and for, right? Uh, because what the CEO, what the executive committee sees as growth opportunity or high level of potential and 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 whatnot. Um, that has to align with what the board of directors are looking for and the board of directors are representing membership. And so there, there is a bit of a reality within this space that, you know, we, we, the, the, the way that I think of it is SCCA will never reach its full potential, but will also never fully fail. And that is because we have so many volunteers that are, Deploying our programs, designing our programs, that the overhead is very reasonable. We can we can do this for a good long time and not reach a failure point, but we don't control our brand in the same way that a grid life or a global time attack or a, an organization that's really maniacally focused can. And, well, and
0: and I've said for a long time, you know, the the, the SCCA's biggest asset and its worst detractor. Is the second C. It's the club. Okay. Yeah. All of these other organizations that you're talking about, almost all of them are businesses. There's a management team that doesn't answer to club members. There's no voting of boards of directors. There's no, there's, you, 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 there's so many layers of politics of the SCCA, right from the regional level up to the national level. Um, that's part of what makes the club amazing, but it's also part of what makes it hard to get anything done.
1: But here, here's all the things that we have just said are absolutely true. They're absolutely true. They're right. absolutely true. Here's what is also absolutely true. We just had the second biggest road race in the United States, uh, that I'm aware of. And the first one was also us at the same venue. Uh, we just had 1200 people come to Lincoln, Nebraska and autocross. Uh, we've had up to 1350 there before we had it back in May. We had, we came one driver away from having had the biggest time trial in the United States that we're aware of. Um, unless you count Bonneville, I don't count it unless they turn. Um, but, uh. And that one of that event that had one more, that was the year prior same event. So this this machine that we have that's political, that's messy, that sometimes the sausage factory isn't the best place to stand, produces these events that not only are historically huge, uh, we use a very consistent rating scale for our events. We ask people about their overall experience and we ask them about their likelihood to refer a friend to that event. Those two factors create an answer on a 100-point scale. Um, And we're talking about all of these events that are these big, large political machines uh, that are getting experience scores that are better than 90. The one from Solo Nationals this year is a 95. Um, Now, that 5% in the survey results, they're real clear on what they don't like, and they're real comfortable going out into the social media world and saying, this event was garbage because of X, Y, and Z. Um, Where SCCA runs into a problem is that I think that, you know, you mentioned a moment ago that kind of the older guard is getting exhausted. One of the things they're getting exhausted about is defending the club. And so they don't. And so a lot of these conversations about events that had 95 experience scores that had record setting attendance devolve to who's willing to get down in the mud. And, you know, that, that's the biggest challenge that I see in our culture right now. It's not about, age or program or any of those things. It's that we're having wildly successful events that are well attended, that are well reviewed. Um, And then uh, this minority of people whose hobby it is to sling mud, um, you know, they get the final word. Right.
0: I I do think, though, it's important that that folks don't ignore that minority of people, you know, just because 95% of the people who are there were happy you know, a lot of times sure. there are some valid complaints that I mean, there's there's ways to bring those complaints that are more constructive than what's happening necessarily in social media. But oftentimes the root of those complaints is certainly something that should be paid attention to. You know, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just some bitter person who who lost out on a protest and who's cranky bitchy about it. And and they're gonna cry as loud as they can and because it's gonna make them feel better, but they're gonna pay their entry form and come back and do it again. Believe me, believe you me, they'll be back.
1: One of the things I'm really passionate about in event design and deployment is making sure that we do learn from those mistakes. Um right. a really good example of solo nationals this year. We did trophies in grid, which by survey results was extremely well received. It was also the most polarizing element of the event. People either were really into it and really liked it or absolutely um, opposed to it. And so one of the big conversations at a staff level this uh, off season is how do we bring some more of that energy of the banquet, the all um the altogetherness of a, of a banquet into a space um, into this new rethought space. And so we don't just look at it and say, well, 88% of the people said they were good with it. So let's charge on, um, that other 12, 15% has some really good points. And so we're looking at sure. how do we, how do we create that? So, yeah, I absolutely, absolutely support the idea that, um, minority minority populations should not be ignored when they have meaningful f- feedback, nor should minority f- vocal populations be solely listened to when they are squeaking the most wheels.
0: You know, you are also talking about how getting other people from other organizations to come and play with us in the club and how they look at us online and, and look what they see and, and may not want to, might not want to come with that. I think part of it also has to do with the club's members, oftentimes looking down upon these other organizations. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I think it's really important to understand that a they're not going away, but more importantly, we, 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 can live together. You know, I, 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 for some time, you know, tried to run a photography business in, in, in Southern California and, you know, photographers are extraordinarily, you know, territorial and snarky. And, and my thought was, there's 18 million people in, in the Los Angeles area. I'm sure there's enough clients for me to not have to be that way. Yeah. And it's kind of the same way with the car world. It's you very, know.
1: There's a very simple uh, statistical correlation to what you just said. Mazda has built and sold a million Miatas in the United States. 200,000 muscle cars are sold every single year the population of people who are interested in driving fun cars is infinitely higher than what grid life, NASA, SCC, global time attack, SVRA, hooked on driving, you know, fill in the blank. Champ uh, car. We, are not, we, are, we are not capturing um, the lion share, the sport, the sport of performance driving, which is really what ties all these things together. Um is not scratching the surface of the people who are interested in driving fun cars. And in my mind, I think that a lot of that is tied to the fact that motorsport is almost an invisible term in the United States when compared with the word racing. We don't embrace the idea as a sport that driving for fun is a form of motorsport in the same way that snow sports has embraced the idea that buying a lift ticket and sliding down a hill all day uh, is a perfectly acceptable way to engage in snow sports. And so we just call our hobby, our activity, racing. Um, and don't do that about autocross in front of a road racer of a certain mindset. Um, and But we just call it ra- racing. And we assume that everybody wants to compete. And that's the gateway. The ga- historically, that's been the gateway. And I think if you went to any ski resort in the world and just stood at the top of the, uh, the chairlift, and slapped numbers on people's backs as they came off of the chairlift. And when they got to the bottom, handed them a piece of paper, that told them they were terrible at it. Um, that's probably the last day they go skiing. And that right. historically has been how we get people into motorsport.
0: Right. I, I, I've done both autocross and, uh, and road racing. And I always kind of giggle when I hear road racers looked down on autocross road racers who looked down on autocross are just simply not skilled enough to be a good technical driver, to be good at autocross. I'll put that out there right now. I have seen many more autocrossers become great road racers, and I've ro- seen road racers become good autocrossers. Yeah, uh, I mean, so I'm not going to
1: not going to <laughs> engage in the debate, but I of think of course that, you're not. <laughs> I think you know the reality is that if you look at you know I think um, uh, we have seen uh, I'll, I'll make it very simple. We Tom Gorman is a great case study. Tom Gorman was a decent to good autocrosser uh, when he was in high school. Um, I saw one of his early autocrosses and you could see a lot of talent and not a lot of discipline and not a lot of focus. And as he has matured and grown in the sport and gone and done things at higher speed and road race, he's carried skill over. And I think he is a better road racer from the get-go because of his experience with autocross. Absolutely. Tom O'Gorman was not a dominant autocrosser until he started road racing. And when he started road racing and started getting really comfortable with a car on the edge at real speed, and came back to autocross, he has been a dominant autocrosser. And so there are things that can be learned on both sides of the skill set. And the important part is the ones that separate themselves from the pack are the ones who continue learning as they transition back and forth, as opposed to the ones who decide they're going to do it a way and then try to make that way work.
0: We'll be back right after a short break. You're listening to Inside the SCCA. I get a lot of people who ask me how, you know, my parents will come to me, how do I get my kid involved in, you know, IndyCar, you know? And and I I honestly tell them, I said, you know, start with a year or two in carts, do a year or two in autocross, and and then get into wheel-to-wheel because the skills you're going to use there are skills that you can learn in a year or two doing it that way that'll take you five, six, seven years to learn if you just start in a car. You know, and it's interesting how, you know, while I, I said earlier that I felt sometimes the club was the jack of all trades, it tries to be everything to everyone. If people would kind of experience all the different parts of the club, if we could actually create almost like a ladder system, like a road to road racing system. Wow. Maybe I should start talking with you more to get from, let's say, solo to track to, to, to or track night to solo to time trials to road racing, I think you'd create a whole lot better race car drivers.
1: So let's. So number one, um, our enduro program, which we're working on right now, is very much built in the idea that you can have, if you can have some positive blemish-free track night events or time trials events, that you can kind of skip ahead and get into that program pretty quick. And and so we're very much looking at that. Ladder isn't necessarily the right term. It's more about access than it is about asc- ascending. Sure. Um, but, and but the concept is there. So let's flip that and let's look at what you just said through the eyes of someone who's more interested in recreation than competition. So right now our club culture is kind of based on the idea of getting the right car. We've already talked about that, doing the right things for it, the right class, going down that rabbit hole. You might have somebody show up at a regional autocross in a 2001 Miata And have the time of their life and they come in, in, you know, near the last place, eight seconds off the pace. And the message that we kind of give them is, Hey, you like it? That's great. Uh, You actually need a 99 Miata and it has to be a sport. And by the way, there's a set of wheels that SSR stopped making 20 years ago. Good luck finding them, but without them, you're screwed. Um, And so we give this, like, if you want to go down an SCCA rabbit hole, you need to find the right car, the right class, the right parts, the right things. So what if we flipped that? And what if we looked at the world that you just described through the recreational eye, which is I've got a 2001 Miata. I'd love to autocross it. I'd love to do some track days. Road rally looks like it could be a heck of a lot of fun. What's this time trials thing? Can I hill climb it? We have this whole suite of things that people can do. And some of the challenges is that we don't have great rule alignment across that. And that's right. something that we are working on and looking at. But right now, our club culture does not encourage cross participation in the way that it could. And my opinion is that the more that we can encourage people to cross participate, the more that your club journey becomes about your car, your community, your club. And again, there's still all the real estate in the world for people to take out sharp swords and sword fight for national championships. That's always going to be core to who we are. Sure, I think this club would benefit tremendously if we could lean in really hard to the idea that if that right now our core constituency of members do not love their car. Our core constituency of members see their car as a tool that they use to perform a task in hopes of an achievement. My race cars all the way down to, you know, autocross cars, the whole bit. There's some, and for a lot of our members, for our most visible members, if that car can't get the job done, it's for sale. If that car gets crashed in the pursuit of a goal, so be it. So what if we had more room for people who just love their car and just want to go have fun with it and just enjoy the journey, enjoy the drive, enjoy the experience? And that to me, going back to that snow sports metaphor, that's where we're missing. We're not creating space in our organization, in our community, in our culture, in our sport for the people that just want to go ride some hills and hang out in the bar with their buddies afterwards and talk about how great it was. We, we focus our space around the word racing, where at the end of the day, you have the haves who walk away with hardware and embroidery and the have nots who did something wrong. They had the wrong car. They had the wrong strategy. They did something wrong. And that means that nine times out of 10, maybe 99 times out of a hundred. When people walk away from our space, the majority population walk away frustrated confused, de- dejected. Um, and, and that's not a growth strategy. Our growth strategy needs to be built around recreation.
0: You know, I, I've said for a long time that a mentorship program in the club would be a great thing. You Absolutely. know, either, either from people who want to get started behind the wheel to people who want to become volunteers um, and I think a, a behind the wheel mentorship program and not just like at a driver's school and then after the driver's school is over, you're done. You never talk to the person again, but like an ongoing thing. And if you could find mentors to give that message out, you know, because there's always going to be people who want to be at the pointy end of the stick, Sure. you know, and, and that is a great thing. I don't, you know, we've yeah. 78 years but you're right. I, I I don't know how to solve that problem because it's yeah, a competitive thing. But but if you could have some people whose focus was on that mentorship, where it's you know, hey, you know what? If you're having fun, that's all. It's important, you know, and keep driving that point home. You know, I think the more people we can get on board with that, I think that's a fantastic idea. I just don't know how you implement yeah. that.
1: Well, and I think you know for SCCA that started with Track Night, like, right? It started with you know. They're, what makes track night really different from everything else in the space is that there's not an achievement opportunity. You cannot earn your way into the instructor group. You cannot um, get to a position where you're signing people off and, and, having some level of, of authority within the event. It is strictly a common and enjoy and have fun. And that's an event that, that's a program that's seeing 10,000 participations, participations a year. Um, and, you know, is has a really strong safety record, has a really strong experience score, you know, all the things you want to see. Uh, And it was really built in the model of recreational snow sport. Um, Go buy a lift ticket, ride the hill, um, you know, enjoy yourself. And I think a lot of people see, and this may very well tie to your question of as SEC, try to do too many things. Answer is yes. Um, This may very well tie to that, but a lot of people were really uncomfortable with the club putting energy Towards that concept. Uh, you know, is SEC is now, is does fun with cars mean that SEC no longer values competition, that SEC no longer prioritizes championship competition? Is it all just, you know, uh just a, a big party and and nobody cares about the, the competition piece? And you know, I think going staying in that snow sports model, uh, Olympic snow sports looks pretty darn sharp sword fighting competition to me. That looks pretty intense and i think that if you you know going back to that 99% of your people who own skis and snowboards in the united states probably don't own a jersey
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: how many people in the united states own a helmet that don't have numbers right uh, it those that's the balance that that we need to be striking is is that we can both celebrate our champions and have space for the people who just want to have fun
0: this is why this podcast is going to be really important because as involved as I am, and you know, and I've been involved for a very long time, I, I'm beginning to understand that we all need to be open to new ideas. I looked at Track Night as a way to get people into road racing, or a way to get people into autocross, or a way to get people into fill in the blank. And maybe I, and now I can think look at Track Night as a way for people just to go have fun, and maybe they don't want to go to another step.
1: So I'm, gonna, and that's okay. I'm going to throw something wildly controversial into that idea. We thought so too. We thought people would come to the track and find, and, and want to do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Uh, when we do that session on, when we do that podcast on the state of flagging and where it's going, I'm going to tell you that track night has been one of the most detrimental things to our flagging community. Mm. Because 25 years ago, when I was getting into flagging, if I wanted to be at a racetrack, my ways to get into the racetrack, to get through the gate, were to volunteer at an SCC event, build a race car, or go run with a fringe organization I'd never heard of. Those were the three ways in. And now the largest motorsports uh, on-track club in the country has built a pathway to the track that for 150 bucks, not only you get to get into the track, you get to drive on the track. So there's, there's no way 20-year-old 20, 20 Hayward is a flagger in this in this era because I can go do track night for one hundred twenty five, one hundred and fifty bucks, right? Um, so that idea of you know unintended consequences, um, in this culture, uh, you know, and, and that's that's just a brief aside, um, but, but yeah, these are important conversations.
0: And, and but here's an idea. Let's throw this out there. Um, why when I go to a track night event? Have I not been handed a, p- a piece of paper that invites me to to button Willow in two weeks to come and be a flagger?
1: So great question. Um, and the answer to that question, uh, and I'm, I'm watching the clock too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the answer to that question is pretty simple. It's that we have three people in a marketing team that are trying to right. f- support nine brands and we're trying to.
0: But you know, but it's not we don't need to rely on the SCCA to do that. You know, Button well, Willow, the Cal Club knows, and I'm a member of Cal Club, and I'm I'm very connected with the with the with the board and all of that. Um, there, there's no reason why Cal Club couldn't print up 100 pieces of paper and and deliver them to whoever's going to run track night for that weekend, and say, hey, at registration, please hand this out.
1: So one of the things that we try to do at track night is make sure the regions know that they're invited to do exactly that. And and Tyler in the Southeast has come to a ton of events and walked around and talked to people and and gotten some interest and gotten those things going. That's the mentorship model that you're speaking about. That's what we need, the people that can get out and do that. The problem is um, what we have learned, what I have learned is that everybody who's engaged right now with SCCA likes how and where they're engaged. And they're pretty darn busy with the way that they're engaged already. And so it's really hard to get a volunteer who loves flagging, who is being asked to flag uh, 63 weekends a year to also come out on a Tuesday night and try to find somebody to help them you know, meet that unrealistic goal. Right.
0: I, and, and that's true. But I, I also think that, you know, you know, sending a packet of flyers that they, they could have there at registration takes no commitment of a night. You know, yeah. there's different ways to do it. Obviously, it would be much better to be there, to be engaged, walk around, you know, and hand it out in person. But there's more than one way to 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 get yourself to that end means um, we're, we've got about 10 minutes left before um, I know people listening peter out at an hour. So we're, we're, we're getting there. Um, and like I said, we're going to do this many more times, you know, over the course of time. Uh, we, we, what's the next step? in your mind?
1: Um, that's a great question. I think, so I think there's a couple of key steps here. Um, you know, number one, probably, <laughs> uh, I think the number one thing that we need to focus on is an organization. And sure. um, you can argue, argue with me about content and streaming and web and all of those things. The number one thing that we need to focus on in organization is deploying brilliant events. Um, regional events, national events, everything in between, if our event experiences are positive, and by and large, I think that they are. Um, But if our event experiences are positive, if we make good decisions in our stewarding and our event leadership, then we're serving the right food in the restaurant. So that's step Step two is, I think, to take on the people that have made a hobby of detracting from SCCA, from picking up the phone. You know, I had a, a guy who, posted on social that, um, we had ruined time trials, nationals that, and I responded that I'm sorry. He felt that way. Come see me in the morning. I'll give you a refund and the rest of your weekend back. Uh, He didn't come see me. I went and found him and we had a conversation. And I, I basically said, I need you to decide if this event is ruined. Let me give you a refund and pack it up. Or this event is not ruined and you'd like to continue. Um, and it was a productive conversation and we got to a, a place of agreement I understood his complaint and he understood my position, but we're, I think as an organization, we're pretty uncomfortable having that type of conversation. And so I think having those one-on-one conversations with people that whether it's out of frustration or out of, um, just how they choose to show up in the space, when those things are said that are damaging to the brand, um, we don't need to have 173 comment thread on, on social media about it, we need to pick up the phone and call and say, Hey, what, what is the challenge here? What's the difficulty? Uh, how do we get past it? And then I think that the, the third thing that we need to do once we get to the other side of that is we are a 50,000 member organization that sometimes relies on three overworked people to be our marketing, uh, department in its entirety. And so we've created a ton of really strong content over the last couple of years, in my opinion, some really great videos, um and uh, we're working with Hoosier on a shop manual series it helps people get more information about motorsports um, we've done a lot of stuff um, you know member stories and this sort of thing uh, we need to build into our culture a lot of pride in pushing those things out and saying hey this is this is who I am this is what I do and you can too and start creating those mentoring opportunities at every level in our organization you know if if we rely on three people to, carry forward the brand identity of, of nine programs within our organization, um, we're going to be a lot less successful than if we can get a good chunk of that 50,000 to start being more focused on how we can portray the organization as a great place to come and play with cars, as opposed to, um, you know, the, uh, the biggest idiots in the world who can't get anything right. Hmm.
0: It's a lot to deal with. It's a lot to think about. It's a lot to talk about. We're not going to solve anything in one podcast, um, but I think it's important that the people out there know that there's people at the club level thinking about these things, working on these things, um, even though they might not feel that way that they're listening to them and, and trying to do, you know, what's best for the club. I've, you know, the, the intention is good. Uh, the execution, maybe sometimes not always as good as we'd want it to be, but these aren't easy things to deal with.
1: No, they're not. And, and you know, that's where um, I will say this. A lot of times I've had a number of people who have had these kind of kicked off these diatribes on social media, and I've gone to them and I've said, well, just come to me and talk to me about this. Let's have a conversation. And their response, I've had the response a number of times that amounts to yeah, but you're so busy. I didn't want to bother you with it. And if there's anything <laughs> that can come out of these conversations, that you know, if, if you are truly interested in helping um, manage my time, helping my work life balance, um, it's a lot easier to have that 10 minute phone conversation than it is to, to mop up a social media mess. And right. and I would just encourage anybody in the organization at any level who is frustrated with the, where things are, where things are going, reach out to your Solo chair, your race chair, your re, your uh, divisional administrator, your member of the board of directors, a member of the staff, and ask for the conversation. And if they don't give you the conversation, or you don't like the conversation you have, and you want to go to social media and say I had a bad experience, I can't fault you for doing that. But giving us an opportunity, giving the club an opportunity, to have these conversations based in in collaboration, connection, conversation. Um, that's what's gonna move us forward. And so I think that's that's probably uh the strongest note I can end on.
0: I, I agree. And and I don't know anybody in the club in almost all cases who won't be open to a respectful conversation, even if it's an uncomfortable conversation. So I think that's a good place to to wrap this one up for today. Hayward, thanks for being with us on this uh on this second episode of Inside the SEC. I really appreciate your time.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Before I leave you on this episode, I want to tell you about Howard Duck Allen, one of the most widely recognized and memorable members of the SECA. He passed away uh, earlier this month at the age of 71. He first joined the club in 1978 shortly after moving to Oregon from Michigan. He became a participant in FC with his wife, Cheryl Mindy Allen. Everybody knew Cheryl as Mindy. And everyone knew Howard is duck, by the way. Howard Allen later campaigned a VW Rabbit, in F production, G production. Sometimes he'd enter the car uh, in both classes in the runoffs. That was before it was popular to do that kind of thing. He later bought a Spec Racer Ford and and, uh, campaigned that until the end of his driving career. In the 1990s, Duck became a steward. Then in 2003, he was elected area director for the Pacific Northwest and served two terms on the national board. He was also the secretary of the SCCA Pro Racing Board. As an official, uh, he particularly enjoyed driving the pace car at the runoffs, but in Oregon region, he was best known as the chief instructor at the annual driver's school. He had a real passion for helping drivers learn how to race safely and many Northwest drivers got their start in the SCCA through Duck. Oregon Region's Rookie of the Year Award is known as the Howard Allen Award for this reason. Uh, Personal life, he was devoted to his wife, Mindy. She left us way too soon in 2009. uh, Before her passing, she told Howard she would be his guardian angel sitting on his right shoulder by the spring of 2010, Duck sported a new tattoo on that shoulder featuring her name and a bouquet of roses. Duck never got married again. Duck was well known for his candor and his often inappropriate but always good-natured sense of humor. Uh, He was a serious guy only when discussing racing and, again, passionate about getting new drivers and teaching them how to race safely, and he was dedicated to fairness. I met Duck and Mindy at the runoffs at mid-Ohio in the mid-90s. I don't remember which runoffs it was. Um, but I got to spend a couple of days on station with them. And, uh, one of the things that, uh, well, first of all, both of them were a ton of fun. I can only imagine the folks who spent a lot of time with them have a whole ton of stories to tell, but there was never a time on station where the two of them weren't trying to make it fun. And the other thing I noticed real quickly is, uh, and I said to myself, and this was not something I would normally say back in the 90s when I was in my 20s, I didn't necessarily pay attention to these things at that point in my life, but I remember walking away from that runoffs and thinking to myself, there aren't two people in this world who love each other more than Duck and Mindy, so I really uh, enjoyed my time with them. Uh, over the years, I had conversations with Duck off and on about many different things, and uh, what well, we always went back to those times at the runoffs to have a chat about that. So, again, we're going to miss uh, we're going to miss Duck Allen a ton. He was a big part of this club and an important part of this club, and important to all of his friends and family. Godspeed, Duck Allen. Good job, racer. We will see you again for another lap down the road. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Inside the Seca. Subscribe to the Racing Wire Podcast Network so you won't miss an episode. It would also be great if you'd leave a comment, especially if it's a good one. If it's a not one, not a good one, you can leave that on some other podcast. You can also follow us on social media, find out who our next guest is, uh, and leave us a question on Twitter. It's at RacingWireNet. Uh, there'll be a new Inside the Seca every week. Have a great week. Go play with cars. This is Inside the SCCA. I'm Brian Belansky, and you are listening to the Racing Wire Podcast Network. Inside the SCCA is a presentation of the Racing Wire Podcast Network and Rural 15 Productions. This podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, or sponsored by the Sports Car Club of America. The views expressed within are those of the host and our guests and not that of the SCCA.